Hello everybody, welcome. Once again, as we continue on in the study that we're doing in the New Testament, uh, we're working through it a chapter a week. We're up to 105 uh, times we've been at it, and that's gotten us up to Acts chapter 14. So we're making great progress. Uh, it's a five-year journey, so we're three years left. And, uh, and then, as I've told you, my plan is to do the Old Testament, which will take 20 years after that, all right? So I want you here every week for the next 23 years on Wednesday. <laughs> so, uh, the book of Acts is a uh, fascinating book, and I, I sort of do a little summary whenever we start. Um, we, you know, we started with the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark. Uh, then we did John, out of order, sort of, the way they're written. Uh, and then we did Luke. We did Luke last, so we could do Luke and Acts together, because they're both written by Luke. Yeah. <laughs> both written by Luke. <clears throat> and they were written to Theophilus, which means lover of God. These are the little things that ought to help you in trivia questions at some point. And we know and believe that Theophilus was a very real person, uh, and yet, even if he wasn't, then it was just written to all the lovers of God, which in effect it was, that's all of us. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. The, the Gospels let us know how Jesus' ministry started and went and what happened and how it ended. Luke picks it up there for us with the early church. And um, from, the, from the point of uh, Jesus uh, before the ascension, coming back, hanging out with the guys, ascending, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falling, empowering the church, and it begins to take off in Jerusalem there in the early chapters. And it really does take off in, in amazing ways. Um, we know and have seen uh, that the apostles had the same sort of persecution that Jesus faced all along the way. Uh, there's a jealousy by the established uh, religious people that are there because of the power of God and the response of the people. They haven't had it for a long, long time. And rather than uh, accept who Jesus was, they've been fighting him all along and, and the church all along as well. Uh, and then we, we saw in those early chapters primarily the ministry of Peter. We saw some other guys that stepped up and how God used, you know, Stephen. And, and then Saul was introduced into the mix, uh, uh, persecuting Stephen. And then, and then we saw Saul in chapter 9 on the road to Damascus uh, and, and his conversion and then I told you he spent two years after that in Jerusalem, and he was very effective there, so much so that the persecution got to the point where they finally, uh, the church had him go out of Jerusalem just to catch a break. And uh, he went to Tarsus. Um, and, <clears throat> and then we, we saw how after that period of time, and we saw more about Peter's ministry, um, we've hit a transition now uh, around Acts chapter, the last chapter 13, um, we, we're transitioning, and what we're transitioning from is the, the ministry of the early church, primary, primarily to Jewish um, synagogues and believers who would come to know Christ, and primarily the ministry of Peter, and now the transition is sort of the ministry of Paul, and it's towards the Gentiles and the missionary journeys. We, we've seen already that uh, the church in Jerusalem is doing fine, and, and now there's this really significant church in Antioch, where Barnabas has been, and where he brought Paul to after a season, and that is the sending church for the missionary events. They leave out of Antioch uh, in the process. And then they sort of have to kind of go back and report to Jerusalem about what God's doing all the time. We'll see some of that 
in the next chapter. But just to, uh, just to give you an idea, now that we're going to be talking about Paul primarily, we started last week and, and we move into it more this week and in the weeks ahead. Um, uh, Paul, uh, he was, he, that Damascus Road event happened around 34 AD, just so you get a, a feel for how this works. And then uh, in 36 AD, that was when they had him go out to Tarsus. After a very powerful couple-year ministry in Jerusalem there, they sent him to Tarsus, and, and uh, he was there for about 10 years. And we don't know what he was up to, and you, you can't fill in the gaps. Sometimes people try and do that. Um, you know, the, the assumption is that he was there, and he, he delved back into the Scripture. You know, he'd been a zealous uh, you know, student of the Scripture. Uh, and now that he knew Jesus, um, because when he speaks from now on, he's able to tie in huge amounts of Old Testament scripture and prophetic fulfillment in Christ. That, that just, it's just amazing. And, uh, it, you know, it's likely he was doing that, being a tent maker. At, at, at about A.D. 46, that's when Barnabas goes and gets him. That We saw that and brings him to Antioch and they minister there together. Uh, for about a year, the church does well. And then, like we looked and we saw last week, they, the elders at the church in Antioch were hanging out praying, and the Spirit of God moved on them and said, okay, hey, it's time for Barnabas and Saul to go out on this little journey. And, uh, and so they start the first missionary journey around A.D. 47 or 48. Um, and then they're back in Jerusalem. Next chapter is A.D. 48. They call that the Jerusalem Council, where they have to now figure out what they're going to do with all these Gentile believers um, because it had been primarily a Jewish thing up to then, and they got some big issues on the table. What you can eat, what you can't eat, what about circumcision, what about, what are we going to do? And the church has to figure out some of this stuff. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at around this, this period of time, somewhere around A.D. 48. So if, if you sort of assume that the crucifixion, resurrection was around A.D. 33, um, for the sake of our discussion, that's kind of the timeline, all right? You can't hit those dates directly because there's some problems in the dating that go back to the monk who figured it out and where he traced back, and it looks like he missed it by about six years. But that's a whole other issue, and it doesn't really matter. This is just an idea, all right? So, this is just so you get the timeline of events of, of what's happened from the time that Jesus has gone to the cross and, and resurrected and uh, ascended and the Holy Spirit's poured out. So we would be around 14 or 15 years after that event with what's happening right now by the, for the first missionary journey. So um, that's an interesting timeline, don't you think? Some of you can relate to that because you've been here that long. Like, you know, I was just recounting to somebody. I started coming to church here in 1985. So uh, that's, a, that's a lot of years. All right, but so in, in, in reality, so 15 years kind of since Paul's conversion till now he's out and he's sort of the centerpiece of what's happening in this process. Okay, so interesting stuff happens. Let's read uh, Acts 14, 1 through 28, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes and then we'll pray for any prayer requests you have and we'll go from there. <clears throat> Verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogues. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Remember, this is a pattern I won't interrupt the reading too often. They, they start by ministering in the synagogues wherever they go. 
Uh, and then if the Jews won't receive what they have to say, then they move to the Gentiles. It's a great plan because there's a section in these synagogues reserved for God-fears, who are usually Gentiles who are allowed into a part of that synagogue if, they're, if they have the right moral sort of code that they've accepted. And it's a, sort of a great entrance into the rest of the Gentile population. <clears throat> but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, where they had preached the word in Perga. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I'm sure they were ready for a break. Okay. So... This is a really interesting missionary journey. And this, this is the first missionary journey. And we, we saw it started out last week. And we saw how they left out of Antioch, a port city, and they've traveled around. And they've come around. In effect, this journey was uh, 700 miles of land and 500 miles of sea that they traveled to get to the places they got to, to preach the word of God, which was received with great impact in almost every place they went. And yet, also, they, they came across uh, quite a bit of persecution along the way, and some of the stories are recorded for us here. 
So the, the first part, those first seven verses, they travel to Iconium. And uh, they, they have a very successful, very powerful ministry. The grace of God is on them. And as they preach the good news, um, uh, God shows up and miraculous signs and wonders happen that reinforce the message. And, and a lot of people believe. Um, but as usual, a big chunk of religious leaders choose not to believe because they, they don't like the package. And so what do they do? They, they do what every leader we've seen so far has tried to do. They figure they'll just kill them. Um, that's, it always amazes to me how... Cause, and, but because we always need to think, see? Um, but, but these are the ones that are supposed to uphold the law. And they choose to uphold the law by breaking it. Fascinating stuff. Anyway. Um... So they come up with a plot, the Jewish leaders and the Gentile leaders that don't like what's happening to, um, I like it the way it's, it's to mistreat them and stone them. Stoning them, it's like mistreatment enough, don't you think? But I don't know what the mistreating was. They were going to go call them names first or something, but, but uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't say. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Um, but they hear the plot and... Uh, and so they withdraw from there, and it's not that they give up what they're doing, they just take, take what they're doing to another place. And they go to Lystra in order to spread the gospel there. Now, um, but what? Because those people aren't done with them yet. They leave them there, but they're, they're going to sneak back into the picture in a little while, those leaders who weren't happy with what was going on. So they leave, and they go to Lystra. And while they're there, and this is, this is verses 8 through 18, um, it, apparently there's not a Jewish community in Lystra, because they, don't, they break pattern, they don't go to the synagogues. It's not listed. And we know that wherever there's a synagogue, that's where they go first. So there's apparently no synagogue in Lystra. But God um, does this miracle um, with them, and that's what begins the whole ministry there in Lystra, which is very powerful, where they um, minister to a crippled man, and he's healed. Now, Luke does some stuff on purpose. This uh, whole series, this incident, is very similar to what Peter did with another crippled man earlier on in the book of Acts in chapter 3. It's almost, if you read it, it's like an identical story. They see that he has faith, and they tell him to stand up, and he does. And the guy with Peter was jumping all around, remember, hanging on to him. And this guy is up and jumping around at the same deal. And so um, Luke does that. I believe Luke does it. So he's validating Paul's ministry as being similar to Peter's ministry, that, that this is what's going on. In that process, it's an equality of the apostleship of Paul for what he's doing among the Gentiles. Um, now there's a problem, though, because they're they're in a uh, in a non-Jewish area, so so the people that are there would be worshiping pagan gods, wouldn't have any Old Testament foundation for what's taking place, and so there's this miracle that happens, and rather than you know if it's God or not, they immediately assume that Paul and Barnabas must be little g-gods. And they, they say, hey, this one's Zeus, and this one's Hermes, and what we need to do is we need to sacrifice. God's come down, look, they're healing things. It's, 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 it's their idea of a little g-god showing up. And so they, they, bring, they come rushing in, and they, they're going to bring bulls, and they're bringing wreaths, and they're going to sacrifice them to them. And um, when Paul and Barnabas figure out what's going on, they, they tear their garments, 
to demonstrate. Hey, and they, they run out saying, look, we're just people too. We're not gods. They figured out, don't, we're here. Uh, and, and there is a God, but we aren't him. And what's cool uh, here is if you catch this in, in verses six, uh, 15 through 18, see, that's the message but it's delivered to people without an Old Testament frame reference. And so it has to be different. The, the content of the message has to be the same, but depending on who's listening to the message, the message is different. And that's true today. Be, be, the message is the message. It's the gospel. It's the good news. You know, we've talked about that. It, it's the heart of it's the same. But how you present it to people depends on their frame of reference. And so these were people with, without any Old Testament frame of reference about who God is. And, and so when, when Paul presents it to them, or Paul and Barnabas, it's done in a, in, a, in a way that tries to get them to know about the true God. Um, verse 15, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news. And we've, we've already gotten down to what that good news means, the gospel, right? We, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. See, they're, they're telling them, hey, there is a God, and he's the one that created everything. They have to give them foundation for all of this. Uh, in the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops from their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. See, he, they had to set a, a whole new frame reference for these guys so they could even begin to receive this message about what had happened and how Jesus then had um, come to restore the separation. But you just need to see the difference as Paul presents his message to different groups of people. He's very, he's a brilliant guy in the stuff that he brings up. He quotes philosophers of the day at different times. He brings in all sorts of stuff to convey the message so that people can hear it and respond. See, if they don't, if they can't get it, they can't respond to it. And so I love the fact that, that they're very good about that and what they've done. Now, Acts 19 and 20, I, I find pretty interesting too, uh, and I think you will. Um, um, some, some of the Jewish leaders from Antioch and from Iconium track them down in their ministry, and they, they win this crowd over. Boy, that's a quick change, isn't it? <laughs> These guys are at one hand, they're calling them gods and want to sacrifice to them. And these religious leaders from out of town show up, win the crowd over, and now they want to kill them. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty fascinating change. And this is the second of five crowds that are, that are incited against Paul and his ministry. How about that? He, has a, he does really well, but every once in a while an entire crowd will turn on him. I've experienced that on a Sunday from time to time. Now... Um, <laughs> mm. so, so they stir up against him and sure enough they stone Paul so they pick up rocks and they, they stone Paul and they drag him outside the city thinking he's dead now we, we don't know if he was dead and when the rest of the disciples gather around him he comes back to life we don't know if he was unconscious what we do know is no matter what, whatever the circumstance, it was miraculous because they stone him, drag him out of the city thinking he's dead. The guys get out there and hang out with him and he pops up. And you know what he does? He goes back into the city. Don't you love that about Paul? They had just stoned him. 
And he's like, eh, not done yet. Let's go back and tell him again about Jesus. I love that stuff. And so he, he gets up, and, and, and so whether or not he's dead isn't stated, um, but, you know, most likely he was unconscious at death's door, and he, he talks about being stoned later on in 2 Corinthians, the event of, of you know, how this actually happened in his life. But his recovery was so rapid that it was, that it was miraculous, regardless of however it works. And uh, I, I just love that about Paul. You Right back he goes, right back into the city. He's like, is that your best shot? And I, you know, don't you, it's not recorded, but I bet it had some impact. Anyway, he, he gets out of there. The next, uh, next couple of verses, they, they go to Derby, and uh, uh, another city. And there they have another very successful ministry. Lots of people come to Jesus. And in this particular town, at, at least as far as we know, they didn't meet with any opposition. So he never knows what to expect. He'll go into a place, and, and the power of God comes, and all these neat things happen. And everybody, you know, is buying in and there's tremendous growth and everything. He'll go to the next place and there'll still be tremendous, you know, the, the Lord shows up and things happen. But the opposition is so great that they, they drive him out and make him leave. And, and then they go to the next place. And that's sort of how this journey um, goes and how this missionary went, this missionary journey went. So they leave there. We're not sure how long they were there, but we know this whole thing happened within a couple year period, this whole journey. And they say, okay, it's time to head back. And what they do is they head back and they go and visit every city where they had been all along the way over that last year. And it says they go back to encourage the people there um, and, and what's happening to all the people they administered to early. So, so what's happened is, and I love this about churches. So, so understand they would go into a place and they would have the, these, uh, they would preach the good news. People would get saved. And then after a time they would feel called to move on. And so they'd leave those people there and they would become a church. And they would go to the next place and they would do that. And these people would become a church or groups of churches meeting in homes or whatever. And they would be there. And, you know, they'd only had so much time with these guys. A little bit of time to impart to them about Jesus what they could. And then these guys would have to start from there and, and deal with, you know, what they had learned and what the Lord had given them and so on. But, but it says that, so on their way back, they, they visit every one of these churches, and they, they encourage people all along the way, and they appoint elders in these churches. See that, and, and I love this thing, because here's what happens, and I've seen this happen when we were planting churches in Cuba all the time. We would go into a spot, and, and we'd begin this ministry, and, and then we'd, we'd get things going, and we'd have to leave, and we'd leave whoever we could there with them. But, but by the next time that we went back, we would go up, and, and in every, every time that would happen, God had raised up leaders in the group. Um, that's just how he did it. He knew he needed leaders, and the guys with, uh, and uh, people with those abilities and talents would just start to lead. Fascinating how that happens. And so when, uh, and so I know what Paul, when these guys did, when they'd go back, they'd just go in and see who God had lifted up to lead. And then they would appoint them. They'd anoint them and tell them to move along. And now what will happen is that all these guys that are in spa, all these people, that are left, um, because Paul only has a limited amount of time, he'll send people where he can. You'll see, like, eventually he's going to send Timothy to go and watch over some. But they'll start asking him questions. They'll start writing letters to Paul or whatever, saying, hey, we got this situation, what do we do? And Paul begins to write them back, because he can't get there. And guess what all those letters are? That's most of the rest of the New Testament. 
you'll see that almost every one of those books that Paul has written is in response to questions that came from these church planning things that they did. And they'd have situations, or Paul would hear something that was going on and have to correct it. But most of the time, he was just writing back letters to the groups of people that they'd ministered to in order to deal with situations. And that's what you, when you're reading the New Testament and you start reading Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians and Philippians and, and uh, Colossians, um, you know how I remember those four? Gentiles eat pork chops. That's how I remember it. <laughs> but anyway, um, I don't know why. That's how I remember it. That's how I remember it. Uh, <laughs> each one of those. And then from there, and it's, it's fascinating. See, so when you know the context of why those letters pop up, all of a sudden it makes a big difference when you read the letters. Because if you just read them without realizing he's answering questions, you can draw all sorts of bad stuff out of them that you shouldn't. But it, he's writing them in, in context to letters that were written by these churches they started who just didn't, they weren't sure what to do. Paul, we got this situation going on. What do we do? Paul says, oh, great. Here's what, here's what you need to do. And then he writes some letters. You do this. You don't do this. This is how this is supposed to happen. Get these things corrected before I come back, he says, or there'll be heck to pay. <laughs> and I will be back or someone I send will be back, get it straightened out. And then he loves them and encourages them, and I love it. And he's always telling them the good stuff they do, but he says, hey, you got to fix this, and what's this I hear about this, and how come you guys, you need to be doing this now? And so um, that's, that's how the rest of the New Testament kind of evolves. So, so um, it's fascinating to see that it all springs out of these missionary journeys that take place. They get back to Antioch, which is the sending church. I told you it's, it's the, like the next big one after Jerusalem, but it's where all this activity is going to come out of. It's the church in Antioch. They give a full report over how this thing is spreading among the Gentiles, and, uh, and then it says they take a little break, and they rest. And then you're going to see that they're just about, pretty soon they've got to go and give an account to everything that happened to sort of the mother church in Jerusalem, and we'll see that next chapter, chapter 15. That's all I need to say about that for today. Um, if you have prayer requests, you can fill those out and start passing them up to me, and I'll pray for you. If you're watching my video, thank you for watching. If you need anything, call us, write us, email us. If you're up in Williston watching, God bless you guys. Or Ocala, we'll see you soon.